for years, he always said to me he wanted when he ended hockey, he wanted to go out on his terms. Like that was really important to him to like make that decision. Like, okay, I've accomplished what I want to accomplish and I'm done. But that isn't what ended up happening for him. And I know that was extremely hard for him to take. Uh, so long story short, he, I, I was very upfront with him at the end of the season. I was like, listen, we are not moving with you. If you choose to continue playing, you may do so, but we're not going with you a, because it's too hard on Blake at this point. I was extremely depressed, had so much anxiety and just I needed something for myself where I was contributing in some way and felt a sense of purpose. You're listening to Breaking the Ice, a podcast and community created for wives and girlfriends of professional hockey players, but since has turned into so much more. Stories shared by women around the globe who come together for a sense of connection and community. You may be in the sports industry, a hockey parent, an athlete, or a person who just enjoys podcasts, but I can promise you, you'll be inspired by these women every single day while we evolve through the tips, tricks, do's, and don'ts for all things hockey. And guess what? So much more. For women, by women, but especially for a hockey community. So lace them up and tune in for a new episode every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Breaking the Ice. If you're new here, hello. If you are an OG, hello, hello. I have a really, really good episode for you guys today. As most of you know, when I have a guest on, I always have them fill out a survey. And I have kind of a long list of people that have filled out surveys, but I'm always encouraging people to fill them out if you feel inspired to share your story. And you know what? If you have like a specialty, if you specialize in skincare or in health and wellness or in hormone health, whatever that is, I know that my audience absolutely loves to hear about something very specific. And if you're an expert in what you do, I want to talk to you. So fill out a survey, take that step. It's a really good way to make new connections within our hockey community. With that being said, I also have my own personal ongoing list of guests that I want to come on the podcast as well. So again, put yourself out of your comfort zone. If if you've kind of always felt drawn, like, oh, I really kind of want to go on, but I'm nervous or I hate my voice, just disregard that. A, everybody hates their voice. Let me break the news to you. That was part of the reason why I never wanted to start a podcast. And B, you never know who you may be helping by sharing your story. And I personally am really strategic about like how I lay out this is like my type A personality, but of how I lay out the format for my podcast. So like, I'm not going to have six episodes in a row about motherhood, or I'm not going to have six episodes in a row about someone sharing their entire hockey story or six episodes of a specific topic about, you know, like health and wellness or something. Like I like to have a variety of topics so that it resonates with people and, you know, people can kind of like we all do with podcasts, right? I think that because this is such a specific podcast, a lot of these topics that we go over are relatable to the majority of the people listening or will be at some point. But I also know that when I listen to podcasts, sometimes I see an episode and I'm like, 
you know, I don't know if that totally relates to me, so I'm going to skip this one, which is normal. <laughs> but something about this episode, I feel like whether you're in this stage of life or you've gone through this stage of life, it will come at some point. So I really think it's a great episode to tune in for. Sarah Whitmore came on and shared her experience in this hockey world. When I read her survey, I instantly was like, I need her to come on because I feel like it's a very important topic to share. She talked about life after hockey and really shedding light on being okay, not loving everything about the hockey life. Sometimes I feel like there's a standard, like we just have to be like grateful for everything and like this is such an amazing life and we should be so appreciative, but it's not that way for everybody. It could be that way for you, but it's not that way for everybody. So she was really, really honest and vulnerable about what her experience was like. She also really shared about how to feel empowered to speak up for yourself in your relationship if the hockey life is no longer for you. She ultimately had a really tough conversation with her husband and wound up making the really scary move to move on to life after hockey for the better of her and her family's mental health. She wanted to just provide comfort in knowing that you are not alone if you do not love every moment of this hockey lifestyle. So I really find that this episode is really powerful and I'm excited for you to listen and just hear what you think. If you're listening today, share to your story, tag the podcast, or maybe just send to a friend that might be needing to hear this today. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. For those that have listened to episodes in the past, you know that BetterHelp has come up several times from some of my guests. Living the lifestyle that we do, it is so beyond important to talk about our feelings. And I think that it would be very valuable to have like a third party listening ear to offer advice and insight into our lifestyle and situations. I think something for me that is kind of delayed my start into getting into therapy is that half of the year I'm living in a different country. So the coolest part about BetterHelp is it's customized online therapy and they offer video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't even have to see them on camera if you don't want to. And it's way more affordable than going to in-person therapy and you can start communicating with someone in less than 48 hours. So I'm excited to try out BetterHelp this hockey season. I think that people can only benefit from going to therapy and it probably can only improve the kind of experience you're going to have during the season. So if you're interested in signing up for BetterHelp, you can head to betterhelp.com forward slash breaking the ice. I am Sarah Whitmore. My husband is Derek Whitmore. We played in North America and also over in Europe. We live in Scarborough, Maine, which is basically Portland, Maine. That's where we met. He played for the Portland Pirates. And uh, we have two daughters, Blake and Remy. Blake was born over in Germany and Remy was born here. And we have a dog, Kona. She's a great Dane who has also traveled Europe with us, which was a (laughs) fiasco in itself. And yeah, we are, he is now a coach. He's retired from hockey and I also am working full-time now. And our daughter, our oldest daughter is um, turning seven. So she's in school full time now too. And our youngest is going to be a year in August. Amazing. Where is he coaching at? 
So he's this year at Mercyhurst University, which is in Erie, Pennsylvania. It's a D1. Okay, cool. And then what do you do for work? I work for insurance. I work at Unum um, Insurance Company, and I actually got that job through a connection, um, a hockey connection that Derek had. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so when did you guys wind up retiring? This was roughly three or four years ago. He played in North America, like I said, and then eventually that started winding down and we made our way over to Europe. We, he wanted to give another try and North America, another try. And so we actually ended up going to Reading, the Reading Royals in Reading, Pennsylvania. And he ended up hurting his back at the end of the season. And um, that's when I kind of put my foot down and strong armed him into retiring. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's definitely something that I want to unpack because I just love in your survey, how you talked about how sometimes you have to make decisions for your family, like due to your mental health and what's best for you. And I think that's a really hard decision to make. So I appreciate you just being here and being vulnerable about that because I think it'll make other people feel like they're not alone in their feelings. So what was your experience like playing over in Europe versus North America? So I think I think the North American experience, it's nice because you get to choose where you live and, you know, everybody speaks English and, you know, you are away from home, but you have, you can get your comforts of home, like very easily. It's definitely, I think, way more competitive. I felt more stressful, the day-to-day games, because like our, our, Our year in Hershey, for instance, Derek was a vet at that point, and it was, there was so much pressure on every single game for him to score at least one goal, or we were like, okay, for sure he's going to sit because he's a forward, he's a a goal scoring forward. Um, And just like every single game had so much pressure behind it. And will he be called up? Will he be, Mm -hmm. you know, on that list? Whereas when you're over in your up where are you going to get called up to nowhere like it it really it's more of like an accumulative how he did over the year rather than like a game to game um pressure so I mean there were obviously that pressure and stress was there but living where you want to live and choosing you know your your living quarters was definitely great and then over in Europe yes we didn't have that pressure game to game however i felt like the whole living quarters situation over in europe can <laughs> be amazing or it can be like you're treated like animals <laughs> it just i don't know it, there's just such a stark difference like you just truly never know what you're going to get and it's until you get there you know, and you could be going to a city where, you know, someone had an amazing experience and, and they had an amazing apartment and you get there and it's like, what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, Which is scary. Yeah. And, you know, it's great over in North America, you have the union. So if you feel like you're kind of being dicked around with, then you go to the union or whoever the PHPA and, and you say, gosh, I don't feel like this is right. Like, can you help me? And they'll help you. Whereas over in Europe, it's a free for all, like they can do whatever they want to do with you. And it's really, you know, when it comes to teams who aren't financially stable and they're withholding like last paychecks and, 
nickel and diming you for things like minor blemishes of your car. And I don't know, it just, there's a whole other aspect over in Europe that yes, it's, it's amazing. You get to, we were able to, you know, birth our daughter over there and we visited so many amazing places. We were able to tour Italy. We went to Paris on a whim before kids. We, you know, visited Amsterdam. We lived in Vienna, Austria, which is like the most amazing city. Like you, you can't buy that sort of experience, I feel like. So, you know, it comes with its perks, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't love it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there, I feel like well, side note, we'll have to talk because I'm going to Vienna this year. So that makes me really happy that you guys had a good experience there. When did yeah. you play there? Um, ba, 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 Blake was a year. So 2015, 2016. Okay. Yeah. We're super excited to go, but I agree. I think that there's like pros and cons wherever you are and wherever you play. And it, you saying that pressure about playing in North America, like brings me back to when we were here because my husband definitely felt pressure with that, with like the call-ups and the send-downs and like having to perform a certain way or you're scared you're not going to play, which is really, it's a lot of pressure for people. And there's always like new people coming in and younger guys. And it's very unpredictable. Whereas Europe, you have a little bit more sense of security, but then there's definitely cons to living overseas as well. So it is just a hard lifestyle for a lot of people. And I feel like I've been pretty transparent as well that it's it's hard for me, you know? And I think I'm glad that there's other people that feel that way. Not that I'm happy that it's hard for people, but I think it, it does form a sense of community that you can like reach out and talk to other people about these hardships. So when you came back to North America and your husband hurt his back and then he, did you say he wound up playing another season or he hurt his back. The season was done. And then that's kind of when you guys chose to retire. Yeah. So, um, Reading, the Reading Royals, it's ECHL. So you're making next to nothing. (laughs) And, um, you're, I, after following him for eight years, you know, you can only keep up the waitressing and mall jobs and random jobs for so long, eventually it's like more hassle than what it's worth. And I had, you know, our three-year-old daughter at that point. Um, So long story short, I hadn't worked in years. Um, And so I was, you know, Airbnb, Airbnb our house and, you know, Ubering and whatever during the summers um, if I could. And I had like an Etsy job and I also a couple of summers did a wedding cake business, you know, whatever. But, and he didn't have this, like he was the captain there, uh, but he didn't have like this amazing season. He was also 33 years old, which is you know, unfortunately to say a little bit older for, Mm -hmm. you know, especially the leagues now in North America, it's getting younger and younger. And, um, I just, I saw the writing on the wall. I knew his career was coming to an end. And I think he was really, you know, that's these guys identities for, and since they were, you know, three years old for a lot of them, you know, Derek was on skates at two and, that's truly all he's known for so long. And just a little background on his family situation. It's not, they don't have a lot of money and growing up a lot of sacrifices were made in his family um, for him to go to these tournaments every weekend and participate in these like 
just like going to these hotels and these, you know, hockey is very expensive for Mm -hmm. families. Um, And so there was a lot of pressure on Derek to perform well. And that was his whole life for years and years and years. He left home at 16 to do the whole junior thing. And um, then he went to Bowling Green and, you know, whatever. So he, when at the end of the, it was towards the end of the season, he, it's not like he was fighting or doing something physical. He literally got off the bench, skated, you know, a couple strokes on the ice. And it was the way he pushed off the ice. He herniated a disc in his back, <laughs> hmm. um, which is crazy. Cause I feel like, you know, he's been in fights. He's been <laughs> it's like really skating is what did you in. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> uh, he ended up not playing the rest of the season. He was hoping to rehab and go back, but it didn't end up happening. And thank God he was the captain and the coach and GM there were super kind and didn't just release him, but they kept him on as, you know, an associate assistant coach, um, which was unbelievable. Not a lot of teams would do that. So we ended up staying there the rest of the season and, um, you know, even with ending the season uh, with an injury, he was still trying to get a job with, you know, the Mariners in Portland here, because I was like, listen, we a financially cannot afford for you to take another ECHL job and have a mortgage at home. And, you know, Blake is starting school. Like I need to start working. Um, and then B, like, you're getting older. Like, you didn't have a great season. You're hurt. How, like, what more are you going to do to your body that it would make this, it, it's not, it's just not worth it. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you're just trying to hold on to the stream. And I know for years, he always said to me, he wanted, when he ended hockey, he wanted to go out on his terms. Like that was really important to him to like make that decision. Like, okay, I've accomplished what I want to accomplish and I'm done, but that isn't what ended up happening for him. Um, And I know that was extremely hard for him to take. Uh, So long story short, he, I, I was very upfront with him at the end of the season. I was like, listen, we are not moving with you. If you choose to continue playing, you may do so, but we're not going with you, A, because it's too hard on Blake at this point. I was extremely depressed, had so much anxiety, and just I needed something for myself where I was contributing in some way and felt a sense of purpose. Like, yes, I have purpose taking care of my daughter, but it had been eight years since I really truly had like my own self purpose. So Mm -hmm. at at that point I was like, I need to take care of myself mentally. My daughter was, you know, I was snapping on her a lot easier. I never left the apartment, this crappy little college dorm room style apartment that they put us in. And (laughs) the ECHL apartments. Yeah. Where they give you bunk beds to like, it's just, you know, whatever. (laughs) But um, we were like being woken up every other night because people were smoking weed and like setting the fire alarms off. Oh my God. It made me so angry, but I digress. Um, 
<laughs> so yeah, so he, I could see him, you know, rehabbing and like holding the faith of like possibly getting, you know, another contract with hopefully the the Mariners. That didn't end up happening, thank God, because I just looked at him. I'm like, this it needs to stop. Like, you need to put your family first. We are not. We are struggling mentally, financially. You know what's going to happen to you and I if if we're apart and you know we have also the stress of finances and like I just when I've made it very clear I want you to to stop playing anyways so long story short he didn't up playing again and he ended up getting a coaching job for Bowdoin which is up in um, Brunswick Maine Um, it's roughly 35 minute drive from us which was great it was D3 women's the experience the coach his head coach Marissa was a godsend she was amazing taught him so much Um, he also before he got that job was possibly going to do refing as well refereeing he did a couple, he signed up and got his certification and all that, um, if he wasn't able to get a coaching job. So, well, thank you for sharing that you are a strong person. And I, I think that's really important to just honor like where you're at and be able to articulate that, like, Hey, this is not working for me. And like, if you want to continue, we're going to stay here and you can do that, but it's just, it's not working anymore. So I think, you know, that's good for you for, for speaking up for yourself did having these kind of conversations cause tension within your relationship? Oh, for sure. I, I, I feel like we started having this conversation at the end of his European sort of tour as well. Because again, I saw the writing on the wall and I, knowing my husband, I knew he was going to have a hard time saying goodbye. I tried to brace him as much as I possibly could <laughs> for my you know, final decision, but yeah, it just, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. And especially like when you have a family too, that's when it starts to become even more, you know? Yeah. And yeah, eventually you like when I, when we first met, I'm a completely different person than when we first met. I've basically done a 180 in my personality you know, I was super carefree. I was like, Oh my gosh, yes, let's go travel the world. It was just the two of us. And, you know, Oh, we're going to go to Europe. How grand, how chic. But um, (laughs) my turning point was really when our daughter was born, we had a really, I had a really rough season that year. She was born over in Germany. I won't say the city because I just don't want to deter people if they've had good experiences there, but Mm -hmm. uh, it was really awful it was you know they they made us move the day I gave birth they made us move out of our apartment I g- gave birth to her at like 1 30 in the morning and we were out of our apartment that night he had to leave the hospital and oh my gosh I think you messaged me like saying this over Instagram <laughs> yeah one time okay yeah because I I'm like wait I totally have heard this before unless this has happened to several people I cannot <laughs> believe that like are you kidding me Yeah. So we got there and, you know, we have our big great Dane and uh, we were in this (laughs) sort of like attic apartment, which is fine. But, you know, the bathroom, I'm 
you know, I flew over at 36 weeks pregnant. So I'm huge at this point. And I couldn't even sit on the toilet straight because my belly, the bathroom was so small. My belly was hitting the sink. And then like the shower, it was a broken shower. I had to hold the, you know, they have all those um, in Europe. They have the things where, you know, you can move the shower head up and down. Like that's the standard, whatever that was broken. I had to hold it and like hold it over my head and my body to like spray myself down but it also didn't have like a shower curtain it had this like half glass thing that didn't it only covered part of so I had to like stand up on like the the incline of the tub (laughs) to like spray everywhere yeah so we were in that apartment whatever it was fine um but the people that owned it lived below us and Kona was too loud And uh, they also had this other couple that they signed on late and they were in a hotel and we had been stressing to them, like the people in the apartment building, they don't like us there. Like, can you move us? Let's, you know, the baby's coming. Let's try to move before, you know, the baby comes. My due date is like a week away. Like, let's do this. So we ended up they found a one bedroom apartment for us which was fine because we're like okay well the baby's just going to be in our room anyways it's not a big deal um but they had to redo the kitchen and so (laughs) over there uh it you know they don't hustle it they work there nine to five and they don't work weekends they don't care that you're giving birth and the sorry if you heard that they don't care that they're they're giving that you're giving birth and that they could finish the kitchen on a Saturday Sunday they're not working Saturday and Sunday like they don't care so um they ended up finishing it like the day before I gave birth basically and then they told us oh the hotel there's no other hotels this couple can go in and the hotel is booked as of tomorrow which between you and I that probably is not true. They just didn't want to pay for a hotel room if they didn't need to. Mm-hmm. So they basically said, yep, you guys got to be up and out of there and move um, today because otherwise this couple will have nowhere to live. So we're like, okay, uh, well, I guess we'll do that. So thankfully the the captain that year, he rounded up the troops and and they moved us into this other apartment, which was really super super helpful my mom stayed with me in the in the hospital for that night and um yeah but uh, that was that was our first we had we were over in Europe for the lockout season um for half a season uh we were in uh St. John's and and then they didn't end up extending him because the lockout didn't end so we ended up going to Augsburg um had a great experience there it was unbelievable but this where when I gave birth this was my very first full season out there and the contract came the weekend after my baby shower and I had this whole plan of giving birth like in the U.S. and I had my birthing plan and you know the hospital where I was going to give birth and my doctor and you know whatever and I had my baby shower and then uh, we get this contract offer you know the following weekend And Derek has, you know, one of his good guy friends from where he played in Bowling Green, uh, Foster. Uh, They were also pregnant. Due date was a week before us. So I was like, oh, my gosh, perfect. Like, we'll go through this together. You know, this will be great. Um, Sounds great. We had a great experience in Augsburg. I bet it will be amazing. Um, And so they started off saying, oh, well, 
you know, you can fly home and be home for two weeks after she gives birth if she wants to stay over in the U.S. for that. Okay, yeah, that sounds great. And then that they took that off the table and they were like, oh, well, we're not going to do that anymore. Can she come out or, you know, after the baby's born or can she come out before, you know, whatever? Okay, we'll come out before, but, you know, you got to get her in business or first class because I was not about to be 36 weeks pregnant. No. in between some people in, in, in economy. Like I just, I mentally was not able to do that. So Listen, like, I won't even sit in economy now anymore, not to sound bougie, but it's like, it's brutal on those long flights to sit in economy. I absolutely refuse. I'm like, I at least need premium. I can't do it. Right. Like my, at, even when I wasn't pregnant, like eight hours, that's like tough on the knees, man. It is. It <laughs> is. <laughs> okay. Sorry to cut you off. Can, go on. <laughs> No, that's fine. Um, so we're like, okay, get us a business class ticket so she can at least lay down. It's, you know, those flights are overnight flights. I, I would be able to sleep and whatever. So they say, yes, we get that in the contract, but then they try reneging that. So we had to fight tooth and nail. We had our European agent basically say, if you're not going to do this, cause they went back and forth for a while, then I'll just pay for it because this is ridiculous. Like you guys are really going to nickel and dime us on like a business class ticket at this point like it's ridiculous so and that was probably like not a good first impression too like them like continuing to go back on their word you're like okay wait a second right so and not to mention I had to like get my dog my big dog over there and that you know eight thousand dollars later because I was an idiot and sent her through cargo when really I probably could have sent her under the plane like a normal human being, but I was so, I was a worried first time dog mom. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, a kitchen renovation later, yeah. <laughs> our, dog, our dog came over with us. Um, but yeah, so that was super stressful. That was my first, you know, experience there. And, and with that, like, I'm not the type of person where if the team is going to treat us like disrespectfully or for lack of a better phrase, like animals, like I'm not going to stand there and, and act like that's okay. Like I know a lot of people, it's like this big worry in the hockey world. Like if we ever complain as the girlfriends or the guys, then the team is going to remember that and a either not sign you or spread a rumor around the European union that we are these complaining, awful people. And you know, I feel like there's this like stigma of that's why I wish there was a union over there because they're forming one, just so you know. <laughs> oh, they are that yeah. is unbelievable. I've been saying for years that they needed they needed something over there because it's just teams take advantage of you. And if you put up like a little bit of a stink because you know, maybe you don't want to sit sideways on a toilet or maybe you don't want an apartment. Mm-hmm. filled with mold and be sick all year. And, you know, I, mm-hmm. uh, it just, it is, yeah. it, I know what you mean though. It is like super, it's like this weird thing where you don't want to say the wrong thing and like potentially have that affect your, the rest of your season over there. But it, it is sometimes like ridiculous. Some of the things and you need to speak up, but it's just, it's hard. It's just like this awkward kind of thing but I I just wish it wasn't because there are definitely sometimes where like and I, nothing's like popping into my head specifically right now but 
that are kind of unacceptable. And it's like, I feel like we just have to sit there and be like, well, it it is what it is, you know, and it's just not okay. I know so many girls who they would tell me what they were going through. I'm like, how are you like, okay with that? What are you like? And they're like, it's fine. It's fine. Like they just don't want to rock the boat in any sort of way and jeopardize their husband, husband's career because of it. And it's just like, uh, we were in an apartment, um, one of his last years and, um, there was literally mold all all, it was so wet in our apartment. Our clothes were damp. The sheets were damp. We had a dehumidifier that they use in the rink, like a, a industrial size dehumidifier. And we would dump gallons and gallons out of the bucket in the bottom every single day. And it, like, I had this like Himalayan salt lamp, just leaking water. You know how they like uh, draw the water out of the air or whatever it just puddles underneath it and uh mold all over the walls in the corners of every ceiling like just everywhere and I was like this is not healthy like yeah. even, even with the dehumidifier and you know they made us pay to get rid of the mold they made us pay for the the person oh, to come yeah, it's in ridiculous. it's just like and they made it seem like we were asking like we were out of control the asking so much just to get the mold taken care of or like to have the dehumidifier or whatever and it's just like dude I have a young child with me Mm -hmm. I I have asthma like I can't be in this mold infested apartment that literally happened to us last year there's no sense of urgency I guess over there which is like the biggest thing I've noticed like sometimes you really have to like ask continue to ask until something gets done yeah. And like nag them almost. And mm-hmm. they, they sprayed it for us too. And the thing of it is, is when they came over, they didn't tell us how they were going to clean it. So the guy starts spraying and I'm like choking on the stuff, running around, trying to get my child out of the apartment because I knew it was not a, not healthy for us to be breathing, whatever they were spraying in. But I like was choking on the fumes. It was so bad. <laughs> and Oh my I, gosh. They, before they agreed to sending someone over for us to pay for them to spray, they were like, oh, just open the windows in the dead of winter. Oh yeah. That's what they said to us. You need to keep these open like eight hours or like not eight hours. That's crazy. Uh, Like an hour a day. I'm like, it is literally 15 degrees outside. (laughs) Like I'm not keeping these open. I have an infant. Right. And not only that, they, we were paying for our heat and stuff. So it's like, yeah, easy for you to say like, where yeah you know, if you guys are paying for the heat, then fine. I'll keep these windows open all day if that's going to get rid of it, but I'm not paying for heat, keeping these windows open and still having mold. Like it just, oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so you had your daughter and then like that was kind of starting to become kind of like a, a turn for you in the lifestyle. Yes. Because it just became more important that a, we had like a safe place to live with enough space and also you know it's sad missing the birthdays with the family she was born in October so her first birthday you know my family wasn't able to attend it was celebrated out in Vienna which you know the girlfriends and wives there were unbelievable um and amazing 
but you know, the first birthday, the first Christmas, the holidays and stuff that are missed, it just, it means so much more. It's like, whatever, if I don't spend a Christmas with my family, I've spent 30 of them with them. Like it's not a big deal, but Mm -hmm. when you're missing the firstborn's experience, like it really, it gets hard. For sure. Yeah. And that's kind of, I'm kind of going through that right now. Cause it's, you know, I'm thinking about it. Like my son will turn one and I'm like, wow, that's sad. I mean, even though he won't remember it, like I will, that's a memory for me. So yeah, I know what you mean. It is hard when you are kind of away for that aspect. Whereas if it's just you guys as a couple, it's like, well, this is just, you know, like memories we're making and we'll catch you on like for the next one, or we know when he's retired, but like just the kids coming into the mix kind of like switches the whole thing up. So how long, how old were your kids when you guys wound up retiring? Um, so she was three, um, right around the time when like preschool starts, I'm like, she's going to get into some program where she's interacting with kids all the time. And, you know, I just me personally, I, have a a wicked social anxiety it comes off as I go on tangents and I'm like super chatty that's how you know I'm like dying inside (laughs) but um so when I'm out for the season it's extremely hard for me to a connect with a girl um and have that social interaction myself and like put myself out there and be you know, when I have my daughter, I'm not, I'm probably not doing as much as I can to get her socially interacting with people. So I knew that she really needed that interaction on a day-to-day basis via preschool, daycare, whatever. So, um, yeah, we immediately got her in, uh, that when we ended. And that was also a big, um, reason why we stopped. Cause I was just like, this is, gonna start affecting her now I mean she's super social she loved interacting with like the guys and whatever but (laughs) I I knew she needed more so yeah so how like going from that transition from hockey to not hockey how was that for you and how was it for your husband yeah so for me it was amazing (laughs) (laughs) you're like hallelujah long time coming Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, for him, it was definitely sad. It was, you know, the dream is over and um, it's on to the next. Uh, There was definitely that summer was very hard for him. He was very sad. He, you know, wanted to keep the dream alive. And I think as much as he didn't want to admit it, he saw the writing on the wall as well. Um. However, he was extremely lucky to be able to start coaching um, and and still have that game aspect and, mm-hmm. and stay in the game. I think, you know, some people when they're done hockey, they're like, OK, I'm done hockey. I want to you know, try something else. But for Derek specifically, it was important for him. That's why he wanted to ref, too, just to stay in the game somehow to get that adrenaline and love of the game still in his life on a daily basis. Um, so, but once he got that coaching job, it was a huge relief to him. And, you know, every, every summer before, before the retirement came was so stressful. It was 
Do we have a contract? Mm-hmm. Where are we going? You know, you have a couple months in the summer to feverishly visit friends and family and get all that in. But also once July 1st hits or, you know, it's different for Europe, but you're, that's all you can think about. It's, it's so stressful. Like, oh my gosh, okay, this contract is here, but can we get another one in a better situation for more mm-hmm. money or a team that where I might get called up or, you know. And also to chime in, I feel like sometimes like the first offer is not like what you want and it's not like the best offer. And you know, maybe a, you could get more money or be at a better location or something. And it's hard because usually those teams, especially in Europe, give you a very short deadline to sign. So they'll be like, you need to let us know by Monday. And it's like Thursday or something of the previous week. So you really have like three or four days to make a huge decision for your family, which is very stressful. And then it's like, you kind of do that. Like you said, you know, is this the right choice? Could we go somewhere else? Should we wait? Should we sign? Cause we don't have other options. And it's like, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I, you know, looking from the outside in, I had so many family members who just truly could not comprehend why I was not loving hockey wife life. Like they just like from the outside, Oh, you're, you're, living in Europe and, you know, you're not working, you're a stay at home mom. And, you know, you guys are making good money for, you know, a young couple and, you know, it looks glamorous from the outside, but the, the inside of the fact of the matter is, is you're in controlled chaos constantly. Uh, and every single, every single part of the year has a different stress being put on you, whether it's move, getting ready to move home, getting ready to move for the season, you know, is my husband playing well in the middle of the season? Uh, are we going to get a contract? Like there's always that huge stress and it just for after eight years, I was you know, at a really low point mentally. And yeah, I think, I think a lot of girls are, and it just, it's hard to express why you're in such a low point when you, when you look around at your life and you're like, yeah, maybe I should be like happier. Maybe it is just me, but there's definite reasons why you're feeling the way you do. And obviously like I knew for myself, I need, I just needed something more. And I, I, wish more girls would, you know, maybe look at their significant others and say, Hey, like, yeah, this is great. I'm following you. I, I don't need to work, you know, whatever, but I need something more and that's okay too. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love everything that you just said. And I think there is like, kind of like, I feel like it's not talked about because almost people feel like a guilt or shame about talking about it. Like you said, like, oh, I should be appreciating this or I should be grateful or I'm traveling the world and this and that. But like really just looking at it and being like, if it's affecting your mental health and your family and your happiness, then it's something that needs to be explored and having more conversations about it. Um, And I also think it's important to like talk to other women in the lifestyle and just like being open because sometimes we like feel like we want to seclude ourselves and like keep it all bottled up. But I feel like if you talk about these things with other people, like you might realize that, you know, you're not as alone in that feeling as you might think. Yeah. 
you know, because it's just like, you don't want to say the wrong thing or come off. Like you don't want to be there because obviously we all appreciate having jobs, but that's not to say it doesn't come without hardships and challenges and sacrifices that we all make. Exactly. It just, yeah, I, I did want to touch on too is, you know, it's so important for every season to have that, like, you know, there's usually that one girl who is like super inclusive super comfortable in her own skin, just like a ball of joy and knows everything about everything is like, I don't know, just I, there are so many times where I would not have been able to mentally get through a season without that girl. And, you know, it, a lot of people, you know, you want to compete with the Joneses and like, you want to be cool and you don't want to say the wrong thing and like, whatever. But I think we all need to remember at the end of the day, it's like, we're all human and we're all in this crazy situation together. And I think just giving each other more grace and like ability to be, you know, maybe not okay and maybe struggling and um, just, you know, I think sometimes the insecurities and stuff can come off as like being bitchy or like whatever, but I just... I'll, I'll, I'm going to shout someone out. So Danielle Frazier, uh, we played with, I don't know if you know who that is. I think I love her. (laughs) We talk all the time over Instagram. She is so funny. (laughs) She is an angel of all angels in the hockey world. She is that girl who we played with them in, in Vienna. And she was that girl that a included everybody B she didn't care that I was this social anxiety weirdo. She would literally text me all the time and be like, come down, have a coffee. Our kids were like the same age. It, she like forced me to get out a little bit and you know, she was super comfortable in her own skin. And like, I never felt like I had to like keep up with the joint Joneses in her presence. And it just like, there's something so amazing about a person like that. And I wish we, you know, I was super young in the hockey life, so I definitely was not perfect by any means, but I wish, I wish I was more like that person for other people because it really makes or breaks your season to have that type of person. You're right. Like, even if you just can connect and bond and feel like you can open up with, with one person, it makes all the difference you know, you've been retired for a few years now. So looking back, how would you say that it's improved just your well-being? Yeah. So as much as I strong-armed my husband into retirement, it was still a super unknown situation to us at that point. We still were so, I was still so worried about what the heck are we going to do after hockey? You know, this has been our lives. I haven't worked. He's only done hockey. Like, will we get jobs? Will we be financially stable? Will we be happy? Um, And I, I think that's what deters a lot of people from like making that decision to stop is the unknown of life after. And just in my, in my situation, I look back and I'm like, what was I so worried about? We are so much more stable and not worried about, I mean, yes, with coaching, there is the year to year. And if, if you don't have like a, a, you know, you could always be let go of a coaching position, but it, it's by no means as volatile as, you know, playing. So it just, and then, you know, we have my income as well, but um, 
I look back and I'm like, what was I so worried about? And I just, I would like to encourage everybody, if you're feeling that way, before your season ends, like if you know the end is is coming near, you know, reach out to your contacts that you've made throughout life. You know, there's so many guys, a lot of them go into maybe the, the mortgage um, broker situation uh, or an agent. You can be an agent. You can be a ref. You can be a coach. You can be a scout. You can be, you know, there's unlimited options. And with the professional playing experience, people you're going to be number one to pick for that over someone who's never played before in their lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we reached out to a couple people uh, regarding refing, coaching, you know, stuff like that throughout the summer and, and sort of at the end of the year. Um, and then obviously, you know, Derek knew someone over at Unum, a higher up at Unum through his hockey connections and they put in a good word for me and I was hired right away, which is amazing. And, um, you know, just reach out to your, your contacts and put in that legwork before the end of the season that way, going into the summer and attempting to get that next job, you a have a little bit more knowledge of what you want to do and b your name is now out there for people to think about and to you know the hockey community is super helpful in a lot of different ways everybody is you know it's a small world people are tight-knit if if someone knows that you're looking for a a coaching job they're going to put your name out there or you know uh foster is uh they live in michigan um he's a mortgage broker and he's also doing it in florida and i know he's constantly asking guys who are you know in retirement like hey you want to be a mortgage broker i'll I'll set you up i'll show you the ropes like let's do this Mm -hmm. so yeah and and the same goes for for women that have their own businesses in the hockey world too. Like if they're hiring for help they would so much rather have someone within our hockey community work for them than hiring like out of it because they know how hard it is themselves to find a job. So I love that because networking is so, so important, especially in that like post-retirement life. Yeah. And you know, everybody who's lived in this life, they know that what controlled chaos you've been living in for so long. And let me (laughs) tell you that works to your advantage for sure. (laughs) Yes, it does (laughs) very much. So if someone wants to reach out to you, where can they find you? Yeah. So, uh, you can reach out to me through Instagram S Whitmore. Oh gosh. What is my handle? I'll tag you. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll write it in the show notes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that way, or, you know, you can email me, uh, St. Hilaire underscore Sarah at hotmail.com. Um, and I mean, do you want me to give my, you can text me too, if you want girls, what's your home address? (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) You might not want to put your phone number on the, on the pod, but but yeah, I think Instagram's good. If someone wants to just like send a message or maybe they really resonate with your story and, and want to connect, um, and I'll, I'll add that in for them to find. And of course, with the little episode release on Instagram, I'll add that in too. Right. And honestly, if for the girls who want, who have something to bitch about, about teams and they just need to get it off their chest, but they don't feel comfortable saying it, drop an anonymous, not anonymous, obviously, because it's Instagram, but drop that in my DMs. I will sympathize with you and I will not judge you. And it's okay. 
Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on, just being super vulnerable, sharing your story. And I am excited to just have a new connection and stay in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hopefully my husband listens to this and he's not too mortified of what I said. <laughs>